0: Welcome to episode 76 of the FarmExec podcast. I'm Elaine Quilici, senior editor of FarmExec magazine and your podcast host. FarmExec magazine is a multimedia publishing brand that brings you the latest commercial insights for the C-suite. On this week's episode, I have the pleasure of speaking with Joel Marcus. Joel is founder and executive chairman of Alexandria Real Estate Equities, a real estate investment trust focused on collaborative campuses for top life science companies in the nation's foremost innovation clusters. He's also founder and CEO of Alexandria Venture Investments. Joel talks about the effects of COVID on worldwide biomanufacturing and what the repatriation of pharma could look like. Let's take a quick break from our sponsor, and we'll be right back with Joel.
1: What if you had limitless access to Customer Insights? Accelerated timelines and set fees. At True Serum Network, we're fueled by connections in virtually every area of healthcare as part of MJH Life Sciences. The result? Audience fed creative and more powerful content in less time. True Serum Network, releasing what's real. Find out more at TrueSerumNtwk.com.
0: Hello, podcasters. Today, I'll be interviewing Joel Marcus, founder and executive chairman of Alexandria Real Estate Equities, whose tenants include Moderna, Pfizer, and AstraZeneca, to name a few. He's also founder and CEO of Alexandria Venture Investments, an active early-stage life science investor. Joel's here to discuss the drive to bring pharma manufacturing back to a company's home country and the issues involved in doing that. Thanks for joining me today, Joel.
2: A real pleasure to be here with you, Elaine.
0: So how has COVID affected manufacturing worldwide?
2: Well, I think if we go back, January 21st, 2020 was the uh, first reported case of COVID-19, as we all recall, in Seattle. And I think none of us quite knew what would be in store for us ahead of time. But it was pretty quickly evident that the demand for protective gear, so-called PPE, was kind of swamping the globe, really. China, who was at that point really impacted most by uh, COVID, which um, was focused on uh, on Wuhan and the Wuhan lab there. And so, what uh, what I think it did is it shined a particularly bright light on, I think, two two really big megatrends that I think were revealed by the confluence of these factors: kind of the onset of the global pandemic and the fact that there was a rush in you know, among global players, countries, and so forth for this, uh, you know, so-called PPE at that time. And those uh, trends really were that you really needed to control the supply chain for critical medical equipment and also the, uh, the medicines, vaccines, tests, and things that would come out of this and be necessary to fight the pandemic. You really had to have control over. You couldn't rely on third parties. And it became, I think, a matter of true national security. So it was a pretty big shock. None of us have been through a pandemic. The last one, as we know, in a big, big worldwide way was back in 1918, the Spanish flu. Uh, There have been smaller incidents with Ebola and a variety of other outbreaks, but nothing on a scale like we've seen here uh, over the past year.
0: So with medicines becoming increasingly more complex, how does that affect the supply chain?
2: the interesting part about it is in today's world with the advent of so many new technologies we're finding new ways to produce medicines you know i think it's it's known that uh, there are about 10000 known diseases to humankind And really, we have only about 500 addressable therapies, very few cures, actually, but uh, only about 500 have been addressed. So that means we've really made inroads on about 5% of the diseases worldwide. And uh, that just shows that we're in the early days of what we call the biology revolution, really trying to figure out and unlock the secret to trying to um, turn these diseases either into chronic conditions, which can be treated or in fact cures, and the ultimate goal would be, could we prevent these? Scott Gottlieb, who's a certainly a former FDA commissioner just a couple of years ago and on a frequent guest on many shows and a writer of many op-eds, I think put it best, in today's more complex medicine world where we're using gene therapy and cell therapy and much more complex processes to become much more personalized in the sense that medicines can work for some and not for others, we're trying to overcome that by making them personalize the so-called personalized medicine era. It used to be that about 80% of the complexity was in the clinical development and about 20% in manufacturing and that's kind of flipped on its side where now uh, the complexity is mostly on the manufacturing side and in fact many new startups and many companies that have grown rapidly. Much of the value attributed to those companies actually is because they either own or, in fact, control their the manufacturing processes, which are considered very valuable IP, intellectual property, and that's contributed pretty huge value to these companies. And so the control of that the proximate, the need to keep it proximate to the research and development and clinical processes has been one that uh, has emerged as a, a, a really critical factor in this uh, in this pandemic.
0: What challenges and opportunities do you see repatriation presenting for pharma?
2: Well I think these two megatrends that I just mentioned have really presented uh, I guess both as you said or as you asked both challenges and opportunities. One is can you control the supply chain, novel research, the development and clinical process and then now most critical is really the manufacture of these new so-called new medicines, the new medicine era and how do you how do you control that? You really need to have it in in a country where you have all the resources and all the legalities and regulations that you need to um, uh, to not be dependent on third parties. And so to the extent that a lot of companies over many years, really driven by uh, unfriendly U.S. uh, tax practices and unfriendly U.S. regulatory practices, many companies have set up sophisticated supply chains overseas, and now the challenge is, can we bring those back? Over the last four years, the administration worked hard to bring back both for tech and biopharma, encouraged the repatriation of uh, those supply chains, both for physical plants, um, making it easier to to build or to um, actually center those things in the United States. And there was incentives to bring cash back, and many of the tech companies brought hundreds of billions of dollars back to the U.S., Um, and the concern now, the, the opportunity is can we keep that and accelerate that pace going into the next administration, and there is some certainly pretty loud discussions among a number of people in the administration about maybe clamping down on regulations, making them tougher. Uh, and um, making it harder, raising corporate taxes, so making it harder to repatriate cash and equipment and plant back to the United States. And uh, that would be a a short-term win to try to address the federal deficit, but it would be a long-term huge loss in that... uh, billions and billions of dollars, hundreds of billions of dollars would revert back to overseas account and uh, many people would revert back or even leave their current uh, supply chains uh, overseas where they're more tax protected. So I think the combination of challenge and opportunity is one that we have to think long term here, not just simple short term kind of um, patchwork solutions
0: is there a way for the industry to use its recently improved image post-COVID in a way to move things along?
2: Well, I think that's one of the really uh, laying bright spots um, that the uh, industry has at the moment, and that is if we remember back to the days of uh, Roy Vagelos, former CEO of Merck, he was uh, oftentimes CEO of the year. Merck was widely praised as company of the year. in, uh, in those former days. And we haven't seen the biopharma industry in quite that light up till the onset of the uh, COVID pandemic. You know, pharma was for a number of years, the whipping boy. It was really bipartisan whipping in the sense of aggressive price increases. And then there were a number of um, rather distasteful figures, Martin Shkreli being one of them. He didn't really represent the, the core of the industry, but people perceived that people like him who were doing kind of unsavory things represented the industry. And that was a a real sad case because the industry is one of the core really good industries, both in the United States and the world. And I think COVID has shined a bright light and really repositioned, really pivoted the industry's image in a super positive way, rather than being the whipping boy, uh, you know, price increases, etc. It's now become kind of the savior of uh, humankind. And I think it would be great if the industry, both the pharma and the bio industry, worked hard through their channels of influence, uh, both at the uh, consumer level and at the policy level, to use this really, I would say, positive momentum to really make change for the good. More American workers bring back novel research development, and uh, certainly biomanufacturing, increased visas, the H1B1 for very talented PhDs from overseas, and really um, make this the golden era of biopharma because, you know, as I said before, if 95 percent of the illnesses in the world have yet to be addressed, it really is a great time for this industry to make a positive and uh, important impact. So it's a it's a rare opportunity, I think, that shouldn't be lost.
0: How will the repatriation of biomanufacturing and demand for the life sciences affect commercial real estate?
2: Yeah, it's had a pretty profound effect. the uh, The industry has been on a pretty strong, uh, positive momentum trajectory over the last say, seven years, which is longer historically than uh, many of the cycles that we've seen. The industry doesn't operate in a normal economic cycle because health is not economically dependent in the sense of, you know, when the economy is doing well, uh, you know, things are up. And when the economy is not doing well, things are down. The biopharma industry is is addressing disease and uh, human suffering each and every day, no matter what the market are like. So, It's important to remember that. And so COVID has really added a layer of significant, I think, generational demand uh, for novel research, the development and the manufacturing, and we see that really evidenced in virtually all of our markets from Seattle to San Diego on the West Coast and from Boston down to Research Triangle Park on the East Coast. And we've seen that very specifically. We recently delivered 64,000 square foot facility for Q Health, which is involved in COVID testing in San Diego. We're going to be delivering a 100,000-square-foot next-gen biomanufacturing facility to Beam Therapeutics. It's really a next-generation rewriting of genetic code, and these things have really been, I would say, accelerated by COVID, and uh, we hope that that this will continue. We don't think this is just an immediate demand. We think it's a long-term generational trend, and so we think very positively about that.
0: Joel, thanks so much for being with me today. It's been really interesting learning about all the pieces that need to come together to bring pharma back home.
2: It's been a real pleasure being with you, Elaine.
1: What if you had limitless access to customer insights, accelerated timelines, and set fees? At True Serum Network, we're fueled by connections in virtually every area of healthcare as part of MJH Life Sciences. The result? Audience-fed creative and more powerful content in less time. True Serum Network, releasing what's real. Find out more at truthserumntwk.com.
0: And now it's time for this week's leadership tips from pharma execs.
2: Hi, I'm Joel Marcus, founder and executive chairman of Alexandria Real Estate Equities and founder and CEO of Alexandria Venture Investments. And my really core leadership tip is uh, both for senior leaders and unit leaders is manage and lead without ego. That has been one of the most important secrets to our success over the last almost three decades at Alexandria. And uh, I think it really represents one of the core principles of good business practice.
0: Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed this week's FarmExec podcast. We are always pleased to take you behind the headlines, provide expert tips from industry leaders, and give you an inside look at what the FarmExec staff is working on. Remember, you can always find us on the web at farmexec.com, on Twitter at FarmExec, on Instagram at FarmExecutive, and on YouTube. The views expressed on this podcast do not reflect the views of FarmExec, its parent company, or our advertisers. For editorial questions, please email editorial director Lisa Henderson at lhenderson at mjhlifesciences.com. And for sponsorship opportunities, please email group publisher Todd Baker at tbaker at mjhlifesciences.com.